Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Well, good morning. morning. If you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah today. I'm just kidding, Raj. Uh, (laughs) Turn with me to the book of Job. I preached uh, one time with a missionary, a uh, missionary to Mexico, and I could remember that I was preaching second, and so I sat uh, right up in the front, and uh, the preacher turned to a passage in the Gospels, and he preached about the maniac of Gadara. Well, my message was on the maniac of Gadara, and so I had to follow that act. And I had to say, you know, what he said, what he said, what he said, what he said throughout the whole message. And so I understand that's, that's tough when somebody preaches your sermon before uh, you preach it. But if you look with me in the book of Job, Job is in the Old Testament. If you pronounce it Job, you're probably a new Christian. And that's okay. But if you're an older believer, then you have problems, Amen. So the book of Job, chapter number one, we look at a man who endured incredible suffering. Job. How many have heard this story this morning? A fellow by the name of Job. And we come to understand this, that suffering is something that is universal. We all experience suffering. In fact, this morning I was reminded as I sat As I sat in our Connect class, all the different prayer requests of family members, immediate family and extended family, uh, those who uh, were praying for others who were dealing with trials, with troubles, with suffering. I heard a story uh, some time ago. I was studying the life of Joseph Parker. And uh, the reason I know a little bit about Joseph Parker is because every, every day one of my devotional books is uh, Charles Spurgeon. And Joseph Parker was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. In fact, uh, Joseph Parker and Charles Spurgeon were friends. And not only friends, but they were also foes. Because they, they were preachers and they had these public spats and, and they would become friends again, and then they would have these public spats, and uh, just kind of like men today. But Joseph Parker was somebody who preached often about trials, troubles, difficulties, uh, tribulation that you and I face. And, and he said this, and he loved to preach on this, he said, speak, listen to this, to the suffering, and you will never lack an audience. There is a broken heart in every crowd. How many know that to be true? That in every crowd, in every family, in every church family, 
Uh, there are people that are suffering. There are people uh, that are struggling. And I believe this, that a church should be a hospital for those folks. Those people that can come in and, and get the medicine and get the care that they need. And so, Joseph Parker preached these words. And what he was saying, he was saying that broken people are everywhere. Hurting people, afflicted people, tested people, people who are suffering. And today, we're in the company of Job. He is known by thousands and thousands, if not millions, a man who suffered like none other, and yet the Bible says that he suffered well. And I believe that the lesson of the book and the lesson for us today is how to suffer well, or maybe how should the righteous respond to suffering. And I want to challenge you today because I know many are going through different situations in your life. But I want you to trust that there is a God in heaven who knows about your situation. He knows about your struggle. He is a God who is sovereign, and that word sovereign simply means that He is in control. And I like to know that God is in control. We talked this morning in our Connect class about how sometimes, Tony, right? We like to take control of the situation. But to give it to God is a whole different ballgame. And I want you to notice Job chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse number 1, and we'll go through... Uh, this passage a little bit this morning. The Bible says this, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. And the Bible says he escheweth evil. And so I want you to notice first this morning that Job was merely a man. Job was merely a man. He was flesh and blood, uh, just like you and I uh, today. He was not a superhero. The Bible doesn't say that he was a deity. The Bible does say that he was perfect, but not in the sense of being sinless. The Bible says that he was a God-fearing man, that he loved God. He loved his family. He was someone who, who uh, fled from evil. The one who uh, had boldness to stand for God in a time where people didn't stand. And as all human beings, Job was somebody whom God loved. The Bible says, just as you and I, that Job was created in the image of God. The Bible teaches that in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. I didn't always understand what exactly that meant when it says that we're created in the image of God. Does God have a body like us? Do we uh, look like God? Well, no, not at all. The Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so God is different, but we are created in His image. How is that so? Well, I believe this. I believe that God is a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as you and I, we are a spirit, soul, and body. Now, please don't miss that. Because it goes in that very order. At least it should. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, if you're a dichotomist today, this is not a debate. Or a trichotomist, we're not to debate today. But we are 
spirit, soul, and body. That's what I believe. And the Bible teaches about these things that the spirit is what allows you and I to be God conscious. We're all born spiritually dead according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 1. I don't know if you remember the day that you got saved. You were made uh, spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit of God that came in and dwelled you. Amen? If you're a believer today, you you are actually housing God. God lives within you. And and listen, uh, He may be a resident in your life. He should be the president of your life. He should rule and He should reign and He should dictate. As I said a moment ago, uh, the Spirit is what is supposed to lead. I know in my life that's not always the case. Sometimes it's the body. Sometimes it's the soul. You say today, what exactly is the soul? Well, the soul is the seat of the will, the character, the intellect, the thoughts, and the emotions. The soul is where we reason. The soul is where we love. The soul is where we hate, where we want. In fact, it's the part of us that makes us who we are, our soul, and allows us to be self-conscious, aware of self. And then we have these bodies. I was able to take Brother James to get hip replacement uh, this week. Our bodies are decaying, aren't they? Right? They're falling apart. I always love being in those dimly lit bathrooms. You know, you don't see too much, right? And it's just perfect lighting. And you say, man, I look good. And then you get under one of those fluorescent lights and say, man, I got some problems. (laughs) This body's decaying. And you know, the body is what houses the spirit and the soul. And just as animals, the Bible says that our bodies are going to go to the ground. They're going to go to the ground. Sometimes I'll uh, go to the gym and, and I'll watch people looking at themselves in the mirror. And they're putting all this work and they're putting all this effort into the body. And I understand about taking care of yourself and eating healthy and living right. It helps you to serve God and to endure. And it's all good. But sometimes we put so much effort into these bodies and not, not enough into the spirit. If you think about a train today, maybe, maybe more specifically a freight train. You know, a freight train has uh, an engine. In fact, that's that first train. That's that locomotive. And that locomotive is to pull that train. It's that driving force. You know what's in the back of the train? It's the caboose. Amen? And that's where you and I ought to be. When it comes to the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is to lead our lives, guide our lives, direct our lives. I know this, um, when it speaks about the soul part of man, speaking about our emotions, you know? I know this, sometimes my emotions, my God-given emotions, get out of place. In fact, I know that from when I go through these difficulties and when I'm suffering and I see that that my emotions begin to take a place in my life in my heart that that they should never take when your emotions become king of your lives listen especially during suffering listen you're headed 
down the wrong road. You're headed for shipwreck. Because our emotions are to have a proper place. Listen, we're to have emotions, but emotions aren't to have us. And so Job was, he was merely a man, spirit, soul, and body. And I thought about this at at salvation, and here's a lesson. The Spirit of God comes in, making our spirit alive. We're now different, and He's making changes that transforms our soul. And these changes are demonstrated in our bodies. And by the way, when you're suffering, listen, people know. In fact, uh, your lost family members and your lost friends and relatives, uh, they know when you're going through it. And guess what? They're looking to see how you respond. Because you say you know the God of the universe. You say, I'm born again, I'm blood washed uh, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And you know, people are looking to see how you respond in that adversity. This means that when suffering comes into my life, I can respond appropriately. I'll be honest, not always perfectly. But I can respond appropriately and differently as a child of God, knowing that God knows me. That God knows my struggle, knows my tears, knows my burdens that I'm carrying. Can I tell you today that God knows what you're going through? God knows what you're going through. God knows that financial issue. God knows that family crisis. God knows uh, what's going on in the deep uh, recesses of your heart. God knows, and I know there's people today under the sound of my voice, listen, you're suffering with some things in your life. You're struggling with some things. Listen, let go and let God. God knows. Job said himself, Job 23, 10, one of my favorite passages. He says, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows the way that I'm taking. And you know, God uses this suffering to refine us. Uh, to, to bring, you know, the dross to the top. To melt us down and take out the impurities of our life. To, to refine us, to make us more like His Son. He said, I know, he knoweth the way that I take. I hope that's enough this morning. Another important statement that Job said, if you're taking notes, Job 19, 25 through 26, he said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. He said, And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though, my, though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Listen, it's good to know that God knows. Amen? To have that knowledge. Job had that knowledge that God was aware of his circumstances. And that God was alive and that God was on the throne. I think about David. I think about his relationship with God. You know, David knew that God cared for him. Read about his life, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Read about uh, him, you know, running from King Saul. Read about some of the things that he endured. You know, he's anointed king and yet he's running for his life. And not really sure everything that God was doing in his life. 
But you know, he said this about God in, in Psalm chapter 8 and verse number 4. He said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? David was awestruck and, and celebrated the dignity and esteem of humans in the eyes of God despite their seeming insignificance. Listen, today you're not insignificant to God. You're very important to God. And I know a lot of times uh, we preach and teach that to children, but guess what? We have to hear those same things, those same truths as adults. You are important to God. God has offered eternal life through His only begotten Son. Think about that. God has loved us in our most unlovable state. But God commended His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has called us and uses us for His kingdom's sake. He has given us purpose. The Bible says that He brought us out of that miry pit, right? And He, and he set our feet upon a rock. He's established our goings. He's pr pr provided for us a home called less heaven. We have a hope today. Amen? Now here's a lesson. Your, your suffering may not seem significant, but it is to God. My little daughter, Sophia, she'd be upset if I was talking about her from the pulpit. Dad, why are you embarrassing me? She's not here today. Uh, my daughter Sophia has the stomach book. And so she's been worshiping the porcelain uh, throne for the last day or so. We thought we were out of the woods. And I mean, every hour, I mean, she is pretty much like clockwork. I mean, she's just sick. And you know the stomach bug, right? It affects everybody in the house. I don't have it today. I'm hoping, no. But you know, for her, that suffering is a big deal. It's a big deal. And you know what? It's a big deal to God. We all suffer on different levels. We're going, we're going through different things on, on different levels, different planes. But listen, suffering is suffering. And God knows about your suffering. And listen, God, God wants to guide you and lead you uh, through those times of suffering. And God knew about Job's suffering. I think this, we have a tendency at times to compare our suffering and situations to others and deem it unimportant. We may even think it's too little to go to God about, and yet He tells us to come. In fact, Scripture says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When's the last time uh, you've unburdened your heart before God? He says, cast your care uh, upon Him. Cast your care upon Him. Give it to God. Give it all to God. Don't hold on to any of it. And allow Him to do with it. In fact, God can do better with it than you can. And I can. He's a hands-on God and cares about the details of our lives. Remember I said just a moment ago that God believes in us. God loves us. Uh, we're not insignificant to God. You know, Scripture reminds us um, over and over again those wonderful, wonderful truths. 
I remember preaching as a youth pastor and telling the teens, listen, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that when you come into this world, you know, the doctor, you know, slaps your mother instead of slapping you. But you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The hairs on your head are numbered. The Bible says that God is aware of every tear that we cry. And if God knows when the sparrow falls, he knows every detail of your life and my life as well. And you know, God knew Job's plight. And he knows your situation today. Listen, God knew Job. And the Bible says that Job knew God. That's a wonderful thing. Listen, if you don't know God today, you can know God through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could be saved today. I want you to notice this. Another thought this morning is that Job was a marked man. Job was a marked man. How many understand that terminology of being a marked man? Um, there were some that noticed Job. He was visible. We're going to look a little bit through this chapter. But Job was not a prominent church leader or figure. He was an everyday man affluent in possessions and faith. If you look at verse number one again, the Bible says that Job was a God-fearing man. And you know what? God blessed him. God blessed him abundantly. The Bible says that he had a big family with seven sons and three daughters. And so Job, Job had ten children according to verse number two. The Bible says, and there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Look at verse number three. It says his substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. The Bible says he had an abundance of wealth and uh, possessions. He was the richest man in that particular region at that time with livestock. He had his own servants. He had his own employees. Job's family was dear to him. And he had wealth and God blessed him. And so Job, we might say, was living large, right? That's a 90s terminology. He was living large, Job. He had it good. And yet his family, his family wasn't perfect. If you look on verse number 4 and 5, Job's family had some issues. The Bible talks about sin, and, and yet Job prayed and interceded for them. Sometimes uh, parents suffer in that regard because they have these prodigals that are out in the world. They're not in the church house, and they're not in the Word of God. Let me just say this. Your children may be out of your reach, but they're never out of God's reach. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Fight for them. And so Job had a blessed life. He had faith. In fact, all of, the, of all he owned, his greatest asset was his faith. His faith in God. Job's ability to believe was so impressive the Bible says that, that he gathered the attention of God and also Satan. Look at verse number 6. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in, in, in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Listen, even in the eyes of God, Job had that reputation of somebody who feared God and eschewed evil. The Bible says this, the Bible says in verse number 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine, thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I think it's interesting here that God would allow Satan to tempt Job, to test Job. But God knew something about Job. He knew his character. He knew that Job was a God-fearing man. He knew that Job loved God. Job loved his families. Job had possessions. The possessions didn't have him. I mean, he was just a good man. And so God allowed this situation to take place. I'm reminded that everything that comes to us has to go through the desk of God. Amen. It has to come through by way of Him and Him only. Let me say this today. Uh, you belong to God. I belong to God. And God isn't going to let something come through that is not of Him. But I noticed some interesting things here as we look at Job being a marked man. First, I notice this. Heaven is an active place. Heaven is an active place. I mean, we see the dialogue here. It's one of un unique perspective. Heaven is aware of what's going on down here, but you know, we're not always aware of what's going on up there. The life of Job demonstrates that humans are often unaware of the many ways God is at work in the life of each of us, each believer. The Bible says that he's going to perform his work until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is working on us. And he's making us and, uh, into the image of his begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so heaven is a, an active place. There's dialogue going on uh, here about Job. God noticed Job. Satan noticed Job. And here's a lesson, when suffering, act upon what you know, not upon what you don't know. We don't know what holds tomorrow, but we know the one who does. We don't know the what, but we know the who. And that's what you have to lean on today. Uh, you need to have a good knowledge of who God is. We're, we're uh, listening to Brother Tony just this morning about speaking about these very same things with temptation and trials and, and difficulty. Listen, we need to have a proper knowledge of God. 
and his word. And then we see Satan, he comes on the scene here. Listen, Satan is an active person. Just as heaven is an active place, uh, Satan is an active person. The Bible tells us that he walketh about seeking whom he devours. That means this, that Satan's not idle. Satan is on the move. Satan is looking to uh, uh, narrow in on your life and destroy your life. And his intention was to expose and destroy Job because he essentially believed that Job only served God for what he could get from God. And then he puts God on notice and really accuses God of bribing Job into obedience. Well, think about those two things. Job, you only serve God for what he gives you. The blessings that he puts upon your life. The blessings that rain down upon your, your life. Um, that's the only reason you obey him and love him. And then God, uh, you're just bribing Job to obey you. Right? To be, to be your, uh, you know, little servant. That's what's happening here in Job chapter 1 and verse number 9. Satan's accusation was simply this, Job, you honor God only because you're blessed by him. And so God allowed Satan to take away some things from Job. What did he take? Well, he took his wealth. Uh, the Bible says that he took his children. The Bible says that he took even his physical health as you get into chapter number two. And you know, as a result, Job suffered. Job suffered. I thought about this. If you were to narrow down the word suffering, I mean, to describe it maybe in one word, maybe to use a synonym, uh, it's the word, listen to this, the word loss. You could take all suffering and you could condense it to that one word, loss. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you some examples because we all suffer at certain times and in certain instances, but all is contributed to loss. There might be somebody in this room or somebody you know with sickness and disease. That's loss of health. Uh, maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one, right? Uh, you know, somebody has died, right? It's, again, traced back to loss. Loss of a child, loss of a spouse, loss of a friend, loss of a relative. Maybe it's a natural disaster, uh, loss of possessions. Maybe you lost a home. Maybe you lost some cars. My wife and I in Florida, we went through probably four hurricanes when we were there. Thank God we didn't lose anything. We lost electricity. It wasn't so bad, but we know many people who lost these possessions. A lot of people were upset because they lost family heirlooms. Maybe it's, maybe it's poverty. You lost a job, loss of finances. Maybe it's divorce, loss of uh, a spouse, that relationship, that closeness. The Bible talks about husband and wife being one flesh. That dynamic's no longer there. Maybe it's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You have that loss of connection. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe you lost a friend. Uh, maybe there's loss of fellowship. Maybe, maybe it's pain. How many are experiencing pain today, right? Physical pain, loss of comfort, loss of enjoyment of life. I don't get to do the things that I once were able to do. Maybe, it, maybe it's a career or a calling, loss of purpose. Maybe it's abuse, verbal abuse, 
physical abuse and all the other abuse that comes with it, loss of freedom, dignity, maybe loss of respect, somebody revering you as they ought to. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's depression. Maybe today uh, you've lost some hope. Maybe you've lost your focus. You see how they're all connected? And so suffering equates to loss. To loss. I heard a statement by a preacher this week. In fact, it was just the other day. And he's speaking about this very same thing of depression. You know, we lose focus. We lose hope. And he said, listen, if you're depressed today, listen, number one, don't listen to yourself. I think Pastor mentioned this in our men's breakfast yesterday. You know, the greatest voice that we hear is our own voice. You know, we're constantly speaking to ourselves. And he said, listen, if you're depressed, don't listen to yourself. And number two, listen, don't listen to others who are depressed. Pretty academic, but pretty needed. My question is, how do you respond when you suffer loss? How do you respond when God decides to take? Corey Ten Boon said this. Now listen to this. Hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. I know this, that God owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, the Bible says. But you know what? He also owns the hills. And really, everything that we've been given by God is a gift. And, and if you look at the Word of God, uh, most of it we're just stewarding. We're just stewards. We're managers of the things that He has placed in our hands and put in our hands. And sometimes, listen, uh, those things don't have the rightful place in our lives. And some God, sometimes God decides to take. And this was not the case in Job, but I know even in my life, God has done that. Because, listen, we might have those things, but God doesn't want those things to have us. It doesn't, he doesn't want those things to have our hearts. And so God decided to take from Job. And I like how Job responded. Look at verse number 20. Verse number 20. The Bible says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground, and the Bible says, and worshipped. And he worshipped. This is the natural response of every human being. He had lost his sons, he lost his daughters, he lost his servants, he lost all his material wealth. Can I say this? It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. As believers, we don't have to pretend that life doesn't hurt. I know one preacher said that this, being born again, doesn't mean we're bionic. The Bible says that Job, he wept. Now the Bible doesn't forbid us to mourn, but it strongly encourages us not to sorrow as those who have no hope. And Job wept. But he didn't weep as if God didn't exist. Job had hope. And then look what the Bible says in, verse, in the, these verses, that he worshipped. Job worshipped. This was the spiritual response of Job. Guess what? Job had a broken heart. And so we learn that worship is a choice. Worship brings us to a different place in our minds and heart. The focus comes off of you onto Him. Remember here in this definition of worship, the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even its blessings, but with God Himself. 
worship. Listen to that again. The occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even its blessings, but with God himself. God, I'm going to worship in the sunshine, and I'm going to worship in the rain. I'm going to uh, worship when it's bright outside, and I'm going to worship in the storm. And the Bible says that Job made a choice, listen, not only to weep, but to worship God. And that's, that's what happens when we worship. It changes our perspective. Listen, you came to church today. Uh, many came to church today, and you're suffering. But guess what? You came anyway. That's a wonderful thing. Because it changes the perspective from me to him, from earth to heaven, from temporal to eternal, from the natural to the spiritual. Job was a, he was a marked man. I want you to notice this lastly as we close. Job was also a mentioned man. I want you to look with me in the book of James. Can you turn there to the New Testament book of James? James chapter number 5. And if you don't know where that is, that's right after James chapter 4. Okay? All right. James chapter 5. In verse number 10, the Bible says this, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. We're in verse number 10. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Now listen to this. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. And the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now get this. Here in the New Testament, the writer James is speaking to his readers about Job who patiently endured through all of his suffering. Why did James feel the need to use Job at, as a teaching moment? for his readers. Well, I believe this because of what may have been in store for James' readers. And we don't have time to look at this, but in Acts chapter number 6, in fact, you look at Acts chapter 6 and all the way through Acts chapter number 12, it was a very troublesome period of time. In fact, you read things uh, such as Stephen. Remember him, the first martyr. Stephen is stoned. Uh, he's already been killed. Uh, we read uh, later on the early uh, Jewish Christians are, are fleeing Jerusalem for safety. Uh, Saul is uh, arresting Christians in Jerusalem. We read that, Acts chapter number 8. And then Acts chapter 9, of course, we see his conversion. By Acts chapter 12, uh, James the Apostle, not the writer of, uh, of this book, but James the Apostle um, had been killed and Peter, the Bible says, barely escaped with his own life. And so this was a heavy period of time. And James wrote this epistle sometime between uh, 44 and 49 A.D., and this period was a troublesome period, and the early church faced much persecution. And so James is speaking to his readers, and he said, listen, have you heard about that guy in the Old Testament? <laughs> right? Have you heard about that fellow named Job? Job was a man who patiently endured. 
Do you know this, that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon? It's a marathon. And that, 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 that we are pacing ourselves. You know, we're living one day at a time. You know, one foot in front of another. The Bible says that we are uh, running our race. And we see these believers, listen, uh, they were running their race. And they, they faced much persecution and, and they went through troublesome times. These believers were in need of endurance. With the many forms of suffering facing these early Christians, it was, re- it was important to remind them of some things that they, like Job, had done nothing to deserve their suffering, but were to patiently endure for the sake of Christ. And the Bible says that, that just as Job faced many struggles, they would face hardship in living for God. I think this, I think patience is fundamental to godly character. It's something that shapes us. It's part of what God grows in us as He transforms our hearts, as we live by the power of His Spirit. James says this, let patience have her perfect work. Galatians says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what God is echoing to us today? Listen, keep on keeping on. I know what you're going through. And we know this, that this life is, I mean, a drop in the bucket to the life to come. And if you look at patient endurance and throughout the Word of God, one of the things you'll always find connected to it is a blessing. There is a blessing for those who don't quit. There is a blessing who, for those who don't give up on God. There's a blessing to those who trust in God and trust in His sovereignty that God knows. Job did not know what his future held during his pain and suffering, but he persevered by trusting God. Look with me in closing, Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. In verse number 12, the Bible says this, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. The Bible says, and he called the name of the first, Jemima, the name of the second, Kezia, the name of the third, uh, we'll just call her Karen. (laughs) Verse 15, and in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Verse 16, after this, Job lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. And so Job died, being old, and the Bible says, listen to this, and full of days. You know, God came through for Job in a big way and blessed him in his latter life more than ever before in abundance. Listen, if God has taken away, God can give back. The Bible says that God gave back to Job. I saw a photo this week of a medical doctor, a well-known medical doctor, and one of the nurse practitioners 
Of course, today we love to take our phones and take pictures of certain things that are going on. And she took a picture of this doctor. And this doctor was in the parking lot and he was up against a wall and he was on his knees and he had both his palms on the walls. He had just lost a 19-year-old patient and the doctor was weeping, crying uncontrollably. And she said this, she said, the doctor, every time somebody passes, even, even under his supervision, he goes out there and weeps and cries. And I thought about this, that that doctor was suffering for the sake of another. And let me just say this to you today. If you're going through suffering, remember this, that Jesus already suffered for you. He suffered, he bled, he died on a cross to give you eternal life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we have suffering today, but guess what? We have heaven tomorrow. And so we can rejoice in this fact. Have you heard of the patience of Job? Amen. So how, how to suffer well, I hope that's a blessing to you. Let's stand today and let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the life of Job and the example that he serves. I know today that there are people all over this church, all over the world that are suffering. And we're glad as Christians that we know that you know. And I pray today that that would be enough for us. That we would trust your sovereignty. God, it seems as though you always keep us trusting you for something. No matter how blessed we are, there's always something to trust you for. So I pray as Job that we would come forth as gold that, God, you would purify our lives through it. And may we learn the lessons that you're teaching us. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.